This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how-to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. My guest on Shareable today is John Robertson. We had a huge conversation about the topic of crisis management, but we went in a direction that you're not used to hearing. We didn't talk about the process of, you know, what to do in the event of a crisis. I mean, we did touch on it, but instead we started talking about something a little bit deeper, values. Now, that's not something you would really expect when you're talking about how to manage a crisis, but it's interesting because when you talk about values, you kind of lead into a conversation about leadership. When you have a conversation about leadership, you kind of lead into a conversation about trust. And when you have all of those things present, well, then just maybe you'll be in the position to manage a crisis when it comes up. If that hasn't piqued your curiosity, I really don't know what will. But I can tell you one thing. This episode that I had with John, it was shareable. John, welcome to Shareable, man. It is really nice to have you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to supporting some of the work that you're doing and that I've heard. So this is I'm excited about it. Good stuff, man. Well, I, I've uh, I've heard a lot about you. I spent a little bit of time listening to some other episodes that you were on, and I think we've got a lot that we can talk about today. I'm very interested in uh, a few of the different areas of expertise you have, which there is a, a gigantic list of things that we could talk about. So I'm going to try and hone us in on just a few things that I think are really, really um, of interest to me personally, and I think the audience will get a lot out of. So I like to start out with a big question, and it helps to contextualize who you are and what you're trying to do in the world. And the question is, what is the dent that you wish to make in the universe? So, John, what is the dent you wish to make in the universe? I want people to know that there's a very plan for their life, which very is a V-E-R-I. Values get encouraged, allow responsibility, so we take the initiative. And plan is the passion, life lessons ability and nature personality Myers-Briggs calls it type one of the things Jeff that I've learned is there's no greater failure in life than to succeed in a way that does not matter in the long run and that's what I love doing my dent you helping or encouraging or challenging or supporting whatever you to finish well you to be the person that I believe you are wired and called to be I love it. And it completely overlaps uh, with how I seek to be out in the world. I'm looking to make a world with more superhumans and I'm trying to give them the skills so that they can unleash their superpowers and make a dent in the world and make a difference in the world. So we're very aligned there. Another thing I love about what you do. And, um, you know, as I looked into you before you came on the show, I noticed you use a lot of acronyms and use a lot of <laughs> frameworks and you're very like thoughtful, planful. And, um, you know, I, I can, I can almost see your work visually in my head because there's just so many pieces that connect. So I'm really excited to get through uh, and, and look at some of those different pieces. One of the places I like to start out the show uh, once I find out the dent 
and I appreciate your dent, uh, is to start with just some quick shareables. These are things that we can recommend to people that even if they were to stop listening to the show, which they never should do, they would at least be able to walk away with four things that they could have as recommendations, things that might be shared on social media um, that that you know they might tell other people about. So I'm going to go into those and ask you about those. They're kind of rapid fire, uh, sure. but I want some things that you would recommend. So I'm going to start sure. out with what's something that you would recommend everyone read? There's actually two, and I'm really wrestling between them. One is Good to Great by Jim Collins, but it's the one for the social sector. It's about a quarter of an inch thick. I don't know what that is in metric, but it's a thin version. Okay. Good to Great Social Sector by Jim Collins, and there's another one, Deep Work by Cal Newport. Love it. I am a huge fan of uh, Deep Work. Uh, oh, are you? Okay. A, I, I really am. There's, I saw a really great... Um, I know it's supposed to be rapid fire, but I just got to go on this one real quick. <laughs> I, I saw a really interesting blog post about the two different types of schedules that there's uh, essentially the uh, the maker schedule and the manager schedule. And when you look at a manager schedule, it's like you go to meeting, 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 meeting. And the maker schedule is like these kind of uninterrupted blocks of time to do stuff. It's it's sort 100%. of like the, the monk mode of sorts where you kind of go off and retreat and work on the things. And after I read Deep Work, I realized that, you know, as someone with ADHD who loves to engage my hyper-focus that I am really best suited for that sort of uh, deep work type schedule. So I can go off and just hyper-focus and knock out like big time projects. So uh, I, I fully endorse your, your selections there. Um, all right. So the next one is uh, what is something that you've listened to that you would recommend? This could be something music. It could be something podcast or an audiobook. book, be anything that is music to the ears. Uh, what's something that people this should is listen to? Because I'm a child at heart, some would say childish, but I like to say childlike, I would recommend Chronicles of Narnia. It's British radio theater. It's an audio version of Chronicles of Narnia. It is amazing for the use of one's imagination. Dude, I love that. Uh, I am just trying to get myself into more uh, fiction. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually really interested to have a and fictional listening experience. And since you did a bit of a squirrel, I'm going to take liberty and do one. We okay. had it when we were playing with the kids and or listening to it with the kids in the car. It got so engaging that I'm talking teenagers. We're not talking toddlers that when I stopped for gas, they would say, just leave the radio on, dad. <laughs> That's amazing. That, that, that means it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Better be. I, will, yeah. I will add that to my list then. All right. So what's something that you've watched that you would recommend? It could be a YouTube video. It could be a Netflix show. It could be a documentary. It could be anything, a movie, anything that you think is worth somebody uh, putting their eyeballs on. What a powerful statement of leadership is called The Darkest Hour. And it's the story of Winston Churchill at the beginning of World War. The Darkest Hour, you said? Yes. Okay. Awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Final one is uh, what is something interesting that you've learned recently that you'd like to share with people? Um, this is sort of my internet rabbit hole conversation question, which is, you know, you found something, you learned it, you thought, oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. And then you share that. So what's something like that? A lot of people talk about brand marketing, brand, what's your brand and so forth. But one of the things I've been doing is called etymology, digging into the origin. Actually, what I discovered was brand comes from the root word that we would call character, basically what a person is when nobody's watching. So if you look at a brand on the old West, something that put on the animal, <clears throat> our character 
is our brand. And for me, what a great insight about what real leadership is. That's a really interesting, I'm a huge, uh, uh, I, I spend a lot of my time dealing in brand and conversations around brand. And I'm constantly looking for new ways to think about and talk about the conversation of brand and what it means to be a brand as a person, as a company, um, you know, the underlying reason for existing. I really like that there's a whole new thing that I just learned right now about brand. Never knew that. And I'm going to go it, look it into that myself. Neat, isn't it? Yeah. 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 You just gave me a new, uh, like, Googleable thing that's going to happen right after we get done recording. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about, you know, how you came to do the work that you're doing. And I want to start with the idea that really fuels the show, which is that everyone has something that they can teach others about. It, it can be something that's tangible, practical, immediately useful, something that helps us grow and get better in our lives and helps to fulfill that dent that you said that you were trying to make in the beginning. So there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about today, but I want to ask you, what is it that you think is worth talking about today? Why is it important? And why should anyone listening right now continue to listen for the rest of the episode? Well, there's a couple of things, but the one that really boils down here is in a society culture time where we seem to be sidestepping beliefs and faith, because many people misinterpret them as religion, if Jeff, if you're my supervisor and I believe you're out to get me, <clears throat> I now have a faith system or a belief system. And for us to thrive, for us to make a dent, we have to be willing to talk about what we believe, what we have faith in, because that's where we lean forward into the harness to grow. Well, you would use the term dent. I would say to that, grow into that very plan. Got it. So I want to, I, I think this is a perfect place for us to start because it actually intersects with one of the things that I want to get to in talking with you. So I want to actually poke at that real quick. So you say faith. Um, and to me, faith is uh, the, the, the term faith tends to, uh, I associate that with belief without evidence, right? Whereas okay. in the yep. work, and, and you may redefine that for me, which I'm also, I'm totally okay with that happening. But my initial interpretation of that is that faith is belief without evidence. Whereas in the context of work and the way that you described it following the, the use of the word faith sounds like a belief that is developed on the basis of evidence that you've collected and that you begin to trust in a predictable outcome as a result of that. And one of the things that I know you talked a lot about, you talk a lot about in, in your work is trustable leadership, which is a huge um it, it is a, it is a huge interest of mine, uh, and I know you were actually just speaking with one of my favorite people on the concept of trust, Robin Dreek, uh, who was just on my show. So okay. there's an intersection there between trust, evidence, belief, and faith, and I was hoping we could maybe start there. Talk to me a little bit about what you mean by these different terms and, and kind of unpack it a little bit more about kind of where we're going to go with this conversation. So first of all, I teach it from the perspective that trust, <clears throat> excuse me, is not a, a relationship issue. It's a performance issue. And so therefore reframing it from, like if I make a commitment and don't deliver on it, you don't trust me. If I make a commitment and over deliver, trust grows. So when I reframe trust as a performance issue, what are the things that John is committing to that Jeff expects him to follow through on. And that is where that faith, belief, trust, leadership all intersect. 
because communication is never what's said, it's always what's heard. If I hear you making a commitment to do whatever, X, Y, Z, and that's not what you meant, trust gets impacted. And the real issue is the communication was not what you were thinking you were committing to. And leadership is being intentional about the brand, going back to that term we used, but going back to the brand of how I want you to define me, whether it be trustable, respectable, followable, even if, well, if I'm not likable. So I'm chewing on something right now, which is the initial kind of premise that you offered here, which is that mm -hmm. trust is a performance issue, not a relationship issue. And I think I'm willing to buy that to a certain extent, but there's a piece that I feel like I need you to explain a little bit more because what you talked about there is kind of this idea of if I ask you to do a thing and mm -hmm. I set the expectation of that thing and then that person doesn't deliver, that's a performance issue. But in the context of it being a relationship issue, if that person who accepted that responsibility didn't feel safe or have the trust in the relationship to share that they're not capable of doing that thing, is it still a performance issue or is that still a relationship issue? Or is it a performance of building the relationship issue? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think- Yeah, actually, I like your third option because there's something in our relationship where I don't feel the trust. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and whether it be performance, past experience, I love what children, they have it kinesthetic. There's something in young children that they just know. And wherever that comes from doesn't matter. But <clears throat> I love the way Judith Glasser puts it in her book, Conversational Intelligence. She defines the acronym of trust as transparency, relatedness, understanding, shared success and truth telling so where does your belief in me as a leader your trust of me has john be willing to be transparent is john willing to relate is john willing to understand is john willing to share success and is john willing to speak the truth in love but is john willing to speak the truth best example i can give to this jeff is I was, we were coming across the lake in our boat and two boys and mom and I, and they got chatting and it's my favorite story because it perfectly illustrates what happens when trust is, at, and the faith of the relationship is there. Anyways, long story short, they asked me a question and they carried on the conversation, not, and not allowing me to respond. So I did the mature thing. I started to pout and I didn't say anything. And when they asked me a question, I didn't say anything. And one son does the, what's the matter with him? And mom totally throws me under the bus, not only driving it, throws me under it. She, oh, he gets like this when his feelings get hurt. As we get near the shore where we parked the trailer in the vehicle to tow the boat out, lift the boat out, whatever. One son leans forward and he says, hey, dad, why don't you give me the truck keys? I'll go get the boat and trailer, the trailer and truck while you're busy sorting yourself out. And Jeff, we absolutely busted out laughing in the boat. 
Why? Because we can speak the truth. There is complete freedom. And it's a whole bunch of little commitments that we have made that allow us to call one another out, but the flip side, to laugh at those kinds of moments. So that's a, that's an example that I think illustrates nicely the side of it where um, the relationship is kind of already there. And to a certain extent, it is built on performance, like the performance yep. of being a parent and of being a spouse and all of those things. When we bring it into the work context, I think I'm still struggling with the idea of performance versus relationship in that okay. context. So, and, and, and hold on, let me just add one more like uh, yeah. element to this, which is that, you know, here we are, you and I, uh, we're, we're two uh, cisgendered, hetero white males having a conversation about trust and performance at work. And I want to make sure that as we unpack this and we think about it, that there's a lot of people that may not feel that when they come into a work environment, that they're necessarily always being judged on performance. And that sometimes there's other things that are there. And that oftentimes, it seems that a relationship can often be the antidote to getting past some of those maybe biases or other things that get in the way of having their performance fairly evaluated. And I think that's part of what, and anytime I get into a conversation where I'm thinking about performance and and relationship kind of being a um, an outgrowth of that rather than the other way around, I think I always worry about that being equitably distributed. So I'm just, I think that's where I'm still chewing on this a bit. Okay. And I'm not <clears throat> disagreeing with you on that. So I'm obviously not wording it accurately because one of the things that becomes, and because the way I think is around values. If the value is the relationship, then I have to be very mindful on my performance, on my, your interpretation of my performance, performance. But the second part of that relationship is asking those questions to which we don't have answers so that they are allowed to share their observations of what I wasn't thinking you would see. And I'm not trying to get philosophical. I'm getting really practical here because I've done some work with some cultures, communities where skin tone is the first thing that's dramatically different so i start the relationship on trust to say listen i'm not in your shoes i or boots i don't know what it looks like from your side of the fence but if you don't tell me please don't judge me based on what i say and do because i don't know what i don't know got it Got it. Let me ask you this. Can you take me back how this became an interest of yours? I'm, I guess I'm curious about what led you to this type of work in the first place. So I want to actually kind of almost do like a prequel to the episode that we just had here and understand the background of the work that got you into dealing in trustful leadership in the first place and how you came to these both philosophical and practical applications of faith and belief and trust and performance in the workplace. I know a lot of your work is in crisis. Has Was this work an outgrowth of your work in crisis or was crisis an outgrowth of your work in these topics? 
No, this is an outgrowth of my work in crisis. And I call it the hot water teabag effect. Because if you ever want to find out, if we ever want to find out what's important to a person or an organization, put them in hot water. What's inside always leaks out, which ironically is really part of what's, which is what's happened over the last two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And and so, but the second part of it is I get tired of the diagnosis model. You know, I get walloped by a life event, whatever it is. You see a colleague at work gets terminated and no heads up, no warning and no follow up. All of a sudden now, my faith belief system is, okay, when's, when's the ax coming for me? I'm always checking over my shoulder, dotting I's, crossing the T's, no longer head in the game, more risk management than passion-based. And so I saw a number of organizations deal with a consistent progression. There'd be an event, there'd be an intervention. Then they do a whole bunch of programs and training and deal with conflict and so on and so forth. But after about two to five years, the ROI on anything they'd done had pretty well been nil, is pretty well nil. And I thought maybe it's just being cheap. I was like, okay, if all of this is happening and in two to five years, the organization is still got a stone in the shoe and not growing forward, there's got to be a different way. And because of my bias around values, there's always three sets in play. Yours, the organ like mine as the individuals, the organization, and the section group that I'm interacting with or working with. And, and if I don't know what my values are, how is the human going to evaluate decisions we make? I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but how do you evaluate when I don't know what my values are? And this is important. Named, defined, and described. And that's that faith belief discussion because faith, beliefs, whatever, gives birth to our values. If I believe that I'm meant to be king of the castle, I know what that's going to make you. And so do you. Do you follow what I'm describing, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, in a lot of the brand work that I do, we begin with purpose. We kind of let that kind of lead us into a conversation around brand beliefs and why that then contextualizes the solution. And then we talk about values and key characteristics of team members and things like that. So it does begin at that kind of top, what do you believe in the world? Where do you, what is your mission and purpose and where are you going? And the outgrowth of that often is now we can say what we value because we've defined what it is that we're trying to do in the world. So that makes absolutely perfect sense to me. And and since it's going to leak out in hot water, and most people think of crisis as some huge issue, whether it be World Trade Center attack or what's going on in Ukraine right now or on and on. But the event is never the real crisis. And so you know, job loss for, I know some people who've gone through a divorce, separation, divorce, and that was more crisis for them than some of the other things that people would say are real significant because a crisis, a change can be a crisis for some people. 
So you mentioned, um, you were mentioning the diagnosis model, and I'm curious if it was a singular event or just a trend that you began noticing, like what, what exactly were some of the things that led you to believe that kind of the approach to crisis might be inverted or being approached the wrong way? Like, what are those things that you found? And you kind of mentioned yep. that you were frustrated by and annoyed by the, the diagnosis model, but I'm curious if it was uh, anything that happened particularly that, that got you to kind of see the light that this was, uh, that there's another way to approach this sort of crisis model. Well, two things. One, I went to university to be a doctor, an MD, and I realized that is so not me. But this, but the part of that theme is most people think they have a healthcare system. We don't. We have a sick care system. If I want to be healthy, if you want to be healthy, it's our own time, our own dime. Therefore, it's a value statement. What's our motivation? But the second part of that diagnosis thinking is people get into the beliefs behind the behavior and they're not even aware of how quickly they jumped over. Let me illustrate. I just had this discussion with a supervisor manager. I'm not sure, exactly sure her proper title, but she and I were chatting about this and the problems they were having with one of their managers in the workplace and this manager would meet agree and then turn around and go do almost the exact opposite right after and this supervisor was telling me well you know she she would say well this is his motivation and here's what he's kind of doing and and I said stop did you ask him if that was his motivation well no well how do you know what his motivation is well, I see the behavior. Okay. What would happen if you inverted that? Ask him what the motivation is behind the behavior you're seeing. Follow me? Yeah, I'm following. I'm following. And she said, well, first of all, she never thought of it that way. And I said, well, second thing is... <clears throat> How many times have you been told what your issue is? She started to laugh. Yeah, more than once. And I said, okay, so you're paying it forward. Play the black and white jersey. Put your referee umpire jersey on and just call the play based on what you're seeing and ask, can you help me understand how I should interpret this? Can you help me understand where this is coming from? Don't misinterpret that as they're going to like you more because that's probably not going to be their initial response. So in a, in a situation of crisis, is there an approach, an approach that you tend to suggest applying as, um, and, 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 you know, I want to also just back up real quick. Crisis is like a gigantic, it's like trauma. Sure like they're, they're just, it's just a gigantic world of uh, things to talk about. So, I guess specifically when we're looking at a company, we're looking at a crisis that's either happening inside the walls of the company that nobody on the outside necessarily sees, uh, or it's a very public crisis. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know, say a billionaire buys a, a social network and basically sets <laughs> yeah. it on fire. Like uh, that's when too big a flight of fantasy. You know what? You know what? Yeah. No, that's an unrealistic scenario. Yeah, probably, exactly. Would never happen. But no, let's exactly. say that a, a, a public crisis happening, a crisis inside. Is there a particular approach that you tend to, um, apply or that you encourage people who are in the, the seats of 
consequence, the seats of power of decision-making to apply when they are in that scenario. I like, I like how you brought in the referee thing when you're in an actual conversation or a situation, you're assessing it, you know, there's gotta be kind of the, you're judging it kind of your, your initial thought about it, but then you also ask the questions to help uh, ask other people to help you understand their motivations or, or what's going on. Um, and it's debatable whether you'll get an, an honest answer there, but um, enough. you know what I mean? But you have a crisis. What's your kind of, I guess, values anchored approach to this or, or any other way that you would go about suggesting that the starting point in a crisis? Uh, first is same print premise, wear the black and white jersey, but go in and ask the question and say, this is not an operational review. This is not a performance discussion. This is not a strategic plan discussion. I'm curious, from your vantage point, tell me what happened. And number one, and I've got a mother with dementia and my in-laws died of Alzheimer's dementia. One of the first things that we're taught in dealing with people whose part of the brain doesn't work is don't argue. Don't, don't try and prove to them what the actual facts are because it agitates everything. You know, I've stolen that for crisis intervention, change intervention. Don't, because a lot of people try and correct the facts rather yep. than, okay, from just, from your vantage point, what happened? And you know what? Their story might be completely divergent from what actually happened. For a person in crisis, does it really matter? And as a quarterback, as a leader, getting them to share what happened from their vantage point is first and foremost, that goes right back to what we were chatting about. If the trust and the relationship isn't there, then they're probably not going to share for fear of consequences. But the second part of it is there's what's called PFA, psychological first aid, just like normal first aid, physical first aid, is there are certain triage tools to help them de-escalate the stress response, which means they are not thinking long-term. They're thinking immediate, quick, defensive, reactive, whatever you want me to call that, fight, flight, freeze, appease. We have to help them think about, okay, what are some steps you, you need to do? What are some, can I give you some ideas of short-term things that I'd like you to do just to get the cortisol, the stress chemical, the adrenaline lowered? Yeah, and I, I love the point about not arguing. One of the things that, um, so in my book, The Lovable Leader, I, I advocate for, a, um, I have a framework called sitting on the same side of the table. And it's a six-part framework for basically how to have any kind of conversation, good, bad, indifferent, conflict, et cetera. Start with the goals, you align that. Then you got to listen and be curious. Those are the next uh -huh. two. So asking people and really trying to figure it out what what they believe happened or what their perspective yep. is on it. And then the very next step to your point is to validate them rather than argue with them. You need to, You just need to understand it. And this goes fully into your point about, you know, you're not going to get a truthful answer from people. And you you talked about this in kind of the way you, the first step is actually setting the table and sitting on the same side of the table. And that's you saying, this isn't a performance review. This isn't me interrogating you. For, you know, this isn't disciplinary. I just, I need to understand what's going on and what happened from your vantage point. And if you can honor that and you can really build that trust that when you ask that question and when you say that, it really is that you're just fact finding and gathering 
only then are you actually going to be able to gather really useful information that you can use in a crisis. Because if somebody's scared to tell you from one reason or another, you're not even going to be operating with full facts and information. How can you possibly address a crisis if you are operating with bad information or incomplete information, or, or in some cases, somebody lies to you because they really don't trust you? So even after you get through that, only then can you really align whether or not your goals and their goals are the same, understanding motivations and closing the loops that you have next steps. So I'm 100% behind the approach that you're you're talking about here in um, you know gathering the information, fact finding, making sure you create the environment that people are willing to be truthful and honest with you. And I appreciate how I'm starting to see what you're talking about when it comes to faith, um, because what you're saying is is that if you continually perform in a way that allows people to feel safe, that allows them to build trust with you, and you continually perform in that way. That's going to build the relationship. They're going to formulate a belief about what it means to have that conversation with you in that crisis time. And then all of a sudden, you have the conditions where you can actually address that crisis properly. So that's when it does become the performance issue. So I'm appreciating how, as we've talked through this, it started to become more clear for me that when you're talking about faith and belief and you're talking about how those things formulate and how they intersect with trust, it is a performance issue in how you've shown up for people time and time again in those situations, good, bad, indifferent, crisis, et cetera. So I really, I, I think I've started to see it. Tell me if I'm off with any of that, but that's kind of how I'm taking it. Actually, you're not off at all. I'm thinking I'm going to ask you for a copy of this audio so that I can use it because you worded it perfectly. <laughs> oh, well, good thing it's being published on Shareable. So it's, well, there you go. <laughs> it all works out nicely for us. Oh, perfect. I'm going to yeah. steal it and say, by the way, this is what I do. Just listen <laughs> to Jeff. <laughs> Okay, perfect. Well, I okay, I get it now. And that makes yeah. perfect sense uh, how that kind of comes together. I want to ask you about one more thing, because I think it, um, it I, I think we're, we're at the point where I can ask you about the second piece that I wanted to chat with you about just looking into your, um, into your background and what your interests are and what your expertise is on. And I think this is just sort of like the cap to the end of our conversation. So I think this is where we'll, we'll kind of close out our conversation. I want to talk to you a bit about how this whole model we've just described of, um, you know, building trust, uh, trust being a performance issue, um, how that sort of leadership helps you better position for crisis. And I want to understand how that intersects with sort of generational changes in the workforce, right? There's, you know, you and I are, are similar in age, we're close, and we have certain expectations of a workplace. There's people younger than us that have different expectations. And, and I don't, ever want to paint any generation with a monolithic brush and say, everybody who's a Gen Z or a millennial wants this yeah, and everybody no, who's no. a Gen X wants this. But I think there's one, the the element of generational, um, I would say proclivities or, 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 or tendencies. And then there's also just the, the element of diverse organizations and different cultural backgrounds that people might have in where this intersects with those things. So I'm curious if you can talk just a little bit about, I guess, the generational and potentially the kind of the cultural issues and how they intersect with how to manage um, crisis and whether or not those things amplify uh, or in in some way intersect uh, powerfully with crisis management. A hundred percent, they intersect. And part of what you put your finger on is why I always start with the values because a lot of organizations have values on a website, but they're not the operational actual values. They're just aspirational. And what's happens, what happens through crisis is the aspirational get revealed like the tea bag in hot water. 
but the leadership has to have the qualities and the qualifications so that people can follow through the storm. Now, the visual that I use is shepherd leaders, not ranchers, because shepherds walk the talk in front. Manager ranchers are the managers, leaders behind people driving them. But those qualities are the things that a lot of us take for granted. And ironically, I have yet to see them not work in generations and cultures. They are qualities like authenticity, what we've just been talking about, commitment, that say and do the same thing. Enthusiasm, what I don't like using the term passion because a lot of people get into some cheerleader rah-rah passion, but that's not passion. It's that enthusiasm. It's that fire in the bones. But then the other quality is service. It's that servanthood or instead of the not my job, it's sure, not a big deal. No problem. I got it. And, and what happens is when people at least start to look for, okay, I need to know more about this thing that is standing in front of me. And curiosity killed the cat and satisfaction brought it back. And what happens is to create the alignment, to create the engagement, to transform crisis, when we have qualities, not answers, not diagnosis, but when we have the qualities, people trust even when they don't know exactly where it's going to go. I love this because I, I am very much in belief that there's a, there's a conversation around frameworks versus scripts that I have mm -hmm. all the time with my wife. And I'm such a big believer in framework, sort of like what are the underpinning mental models, step sequences, and kind of anchoring points in things that we can follow so that when there's a new situation or some 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 moment of uncertainty, that we have something to fall back on, whereas scripts are usually very unique and specific to a situation. So when we deal with crisis, a script is not always as useful as a framework. And I think values are some of those foundational elements that even can underpin a framework that you can go back to even when your framework isn't useful. So there's sort of those universal elements. Um, so I really appreciate a crisis model that encourages us to do that deep work and understand what's important. What's that thing that helps us get out of bed? What do we believe enough that even if it costs us money, we'd still do? Um, and that's so much of the work that I do in branding uh, is you know heroic branding is, is mm -hmm. what would you do when when you know you're surrounded in that hot water how do you step up to the the plate when when things look difficult so i really appreciate that model um and i appreciate you coming on to share all of this and talk a little bit about some of those differences generationally and culturally and and how it does come back to a lot of different things so to i, to, I just just to yeah. build off of what you were just describing i had this exact not this exact but a very similar discussion with a director of hr and we were walking through some of these pieces and her comment was wow this is dei uh, diversity equity and inclusion discussion without installing another program i said 100 percent programs don't work they have a shelf life about two years five years tops 
values can be grown and nurtured. And, and I remember talking at one, speaking at one event and somebody said, cause I always end my plenary keynote with, are there any questions? And sure enough, there's always one trying to be funny. And the person said, well, if this is so true, then how do you deal with the differences between people? And I said, simple. I believe just like humans, I believe there are four differences between us. A, B, A, B, and O. The rest is packaging. Do we want to get all bent out of shape over the package? The blood type comes in, or do we want to understand the differences and leverage them? And, and you know, we love to get all bent out of shape over the package instead of, okay, who is that person at their core? And just like blood types, there are certain types that just don't mix. But who is that person at the core? How can I leverage their strengths so that maybe in turn, instead of them seeing me as an expert in the stands as they're drowning, me saying, oh, swim harder. I'm in the boat beside them with the boat with a leak saying, now this is exciting. Paddle. There's such a fine line between the conversation of kind of taking a colorblind or a um, like overly neutral stance to it versus the, I think the, the deeper point, which is to appreciate what each person uniquely brings to the table 100%. while, while not um, erasing that, how that unique packaging is part and parcel of the way that they bring those unique skills to and, the table. And, and, and I, I only call that out because I just want to make sure that the point was uh, clear that I think what we're talking about is the latter um, is not taking an approach of like uh, ignoring that element, but rather trying to sit, take, take that at face value and then go to that next deeper level and saying, okay, let's, in our, in our best case scenario, let's look at those underlying factors that unite us. Uh, amen. And, and I mean that in all sincerity, and thank you for calling that out or raising that up, because I am not interested in minimizing some of the things that have happened to people. In fact, some of the things that have happened to cultures and people is morally bankrupt. However, if I don't have an interest in knowing who you are, I can define you by what I think has happened to you instead of who you see yourself yes. and therefore how you got to where you are. Yes. And I, and I think that's also an interesting point to call out that in the um, this is like the, the unfortunate occurrence of sort of uh, people in different groups being sort of anointed as like the mouthpiece for that entire group. Like, oh, well, you're our woman in the office. Tell us what yep. it's like for all, you know, or <laughs> yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Et cetera right? and, and that's again, that's not the point. And and back no. to the, the thing that was said to you about you know, this is DEI without the program. I think, again, there, what we're saying is, is that when we, when we get past 
the point of needing programs. And when we get to the point where the work of the program has been done and is working, we are actually talking about values that are being lived in an organization. And we have, we have, we have stopped formalizing it into a one pager that everybody has to memorize. And instead it becomes a way that we are with one another in an organization. So I really appreciate that. Um, the work that you're doing is really centered on and focused on getting to that point. Um, Absolutely. And, and Jeff, to be fair in that, part of understanding that is, <clears throat> do, do I want to be hired strictly because of the package I come in and judged accordingly? Or do I want to be hired because of the quality and type of person I am and that my life lessons add value to that? Got it. All right. So I want to ask you to wrap up our episode with mm-hmm. the clear takeaway. So we've had a number of uh, different ways that this discussion has gone. We've talked about a lot of different things. I want your perspective on if somebody were to walk away from this episode, if there was one thing you hope that they get out of it, there's one clear takeaway. There's one big idea that they can take away from this episode and say, when we when they share it, that this is the big idea of the episode. What is that clear takeaway in your mind? Define for yourself what it means to finish well. Can you say a little bit more about that? One more. I want one more line on that. <laughs> uh, how will you evaluate success in the long run? All right. Now's the time where you can tell people where they can get in touch with you, where they can learn more about what you're doing, where they can find you leading the way. This is the moment of the show of unabashed uh, uh, self-promotion. Tell people everything about what you're doing, how they can hire you, how they can learn more about the work that you're doing. Go for it. So I do three core things, but what I do is I work with the leadership influence to transform crisis so that organizations thrive and obviously included in that is people and the process is really simple discover it's the four d's discover what does success mean what do your values how will you evaluate it who's the players on the field right now with you second step so discover determine what does success mean and determine action items, next steps, and then develop like a fitness room. Don't just buy a fitness club membership, start doing the exercise and then deploy. And the neat thing about deploying is you're going to have to go back and revisit because some things don't always go according to plan. How they get hold of me is Fort Log, John at fortlog.co. Fort, safe place in the frontier. A log is a journal to sail the seas because there's no point going there alone. Co, because I work with people, come alongside, colleague, coach, collaborator. And so whether it be keynote, plenary, workshops, training, but especially around the leadership, how can your people benefit from the kind of person you are, the kind of quarterback they've got on the field and then build the huddle around you, build the team so that you're moving things forward. I don't know, Jeff, how much people want to know, but it's john at fortlog.co. And if you want a landing page for this, it's really simple. It's fortlog.co forward slash shareable. But 
just, let's just have that conversation. No skin, no commitment, no till death do us part. But just let's have that conversation about what it means to, for you as a quarterback, for you as the leader to transform what is currently happening to leverage leadership influence so your people and leaders and your organization thrive. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Go and check out John. Check out his website. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Do all the things. Uh, John is a wealth of different frameworks and ideas. And as you've heard, we've covered so many different letters and ideas here, uh, and he's got plenty more for you. So go and check him out. <laughs> John, the last part of the show is gratitude. And I have a gut feeling that you are an appreciator of gratitude. And I like to close out every episode with gratitude and give my guests the opportunity to just really really live some gratitude. So I want you to think of a lovable leader from your life. And a lovable leader is someone who's exhibited care when you were working with them, uh, or, or maybe not even working. They could just be a friend or they could be a family member, someone who you trusted and who in the midst of setting big, big goals for you, they made you feel safe. So at this point in the show, what I do is I mute myself and I just fade into the background. And if you're comfortable with it for as much or as little as you'd like, I want you to speak directly to them and thank them for their leadership and tell them what they did and how they made an impact on you. I want to thank Elaine. And Elaine, though you had what many judged you as a form of a physical injury due to a farming accident, you were one of the most direct, decisive, honest people I've ever had in my life. And yet at the exact same time, did not allow me to dither or straddle a fence, but you got in the boat. And if I wasn't rowing, you grabbed both oars and got me started. And Elaine, for I am forever grateful for the grace that you bestowed upon me and were a cheerleader despite what others might have saw or thought. And I am eternally grateful for your friendship and for the leadership that you have provided. So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, and seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.